Tim's News Explosion. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Sunday special of Tim's News Explosion on the 29th of May, 2022. We are live on the Wilmsfront, YouTube, DLive, and Odyssey channels, as well as the interactive entropy software where you can ask myself or my guest tonight questions, or even better yet, you can send through a super chat to support the shows. It is just after 9.45 p.m. here in Melbourne, Victoria. Happy lockdown number four anniversary to all of my fellow Victorians. Now, the reason I am airing uh, Tim's News Explosion first on a Sunday is because I'm, I'm leaving for Sydney and New South Wales tomorrow and we'll be away for a week, so there'll be no... Tim's News Explosion, Wilmsfront or Trad Tasman talk for the next uh, seven days. Uh, but uh, I will be returning next uh, for a show Monday the 6th of June. And the, the reason why it is at this uh, later time, thanks everyone for uh, tuning in so late. I know a lot of you like to hit the hay early on. Uh, this is because I'm uh, chatting with the uh, senior editor of the Unshackled and uh, United Australia party election volunteer, uh, Damien Ferry. He's a family guy, so he's been putting his children to, to sleep, uh, uh, but he's uh, jo uh, joining us now. Damien, it's great to have you on. I think this is the first time I've had you on uh, one of my programs post the Unshackled Waves. Yeah, no, thanks heaps, Tim. I mean, it's uh, I really appreciate it, and there's definitely a lot to talk about tonight. Yes, it's uh, one week since uh, Anil, uh, the, the new nickname for Anthony Albanese, well, that's what uh, we, we call him here, since uh, it'll be one week tomorrow since you were sworn in as, as Prime Minister. And so far, it hasn't been too bad, uh, but uh, he's just had that, what is that, uh, interim uh, ministry with, and he's... It's mainly been an international focus with him going to the Quad meeting and uh, Penny Wong uh, going to the uh, Pacific uh, to try and uh, compete with, with China uh, for various agreements with uh, Pacific nations. Yeah, I can't see them achieving much there, to be honest. I mean, when it comes to focus on China, they're really, um, I mean, they would look at the Labor Party here and basically laugh and just say, I mean, these people are just so weak and they wouldn't really be serious about um, defending our national interests. So I think when it comes to those kind of issues, um, they're very delighted uh, in the Liberals having a loss over the last weekend on the election. And I think they'll be looking for good times with the Labor government in charge here. It seems that because uh, the Pacific nations have been talking for a while about uh, we'll be impacted by climate change, rising sea levels, our islands will will, dis will disappear. But it seems to be that uh, it's a, a way of uh, getting shakedown 
money. And because uh, we are in this new Cold War with the, the People's Republic of China, the Chinese Communist Party, who uh, engage in, in checkbook diplomacy, there seems to be, even amongst those on the right, this view that, okay, we'll just write the check for uh, to fight climate change and, yeah, be on our side, not uh, Communist China's. That's totally right there. And I think, I mean, you really have to balance the approach out, but at the same time, you don't want to sell out your national interests just um, in the sake of um, not having China on the doorstep. I mean, I really do understand that there's a lot of people thinking, well, if we do end up giving them money, then maybe it would um, keep the Chinese um, not so close to us a little bit away and it'll, it'll uh, save us in future. But I mean, at the same time, we can't just be throwing money around when it could be really spent here um, on a lot of the services that we require in our own country. I mean, foreign aid is an absolute joke in itself. Um, that's my view on it. And I think a lot of the listeners would think the same. I don't think anyone seriously thinks the, the money is going to go to, to a good cause or economic uh, development in, in those nations. But this is something that we've never faced before, like their security deal with the that uh, Communist China had with the Solomon Islands that uh, brought up analogies with the Cuban Missile Crisis that could be a naval uh, base 2,000 kilometres from our shores. And is it in the, the national interest to buy off the uh, Pacific Islands to just keep uh, keep them out of the, the Chinese pockets? Maybe. Well, it's a very interesting discussion to be had, and I, I can see both sides of the story here and both points of view. But at the same time, I think really the best way that we can go about this is just building up our own defence. So then if anything was to happen, we would be in a, uh, a situation where we could basically defend and protect ourselves and also um, make ourselves um, feared in a global situation as well that the Chinese might look at us and say, you know what, I mean, they're not going to be just an easy prey that we can just go in and just, you know, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I know the Chinese are a lot more powerful than we are as a country. I mean, we're only um, a country of uh, 25 million plus people, but at the same time, we can't be selling out national interests and, and just wasting money on these um, uh, scams just for the sake of, um, of playing a um, a game of um, basically like a, a political game here. Uh, it, it just, you really have to sit down and really think about how we're going to approach this, I think. I think that a lot in even the conservative media are giving Albanese and Wong a small tick uh, this week is because they've been so uh, weak and placating uh, China uh, for so long. Uh, Penny Wong, the the, the most uh, obvious. Uh, sometimes it seemed like she was channeling Paul Keating, uh, blaming uh, us uh, for the uh, deteriorating relationship with with China. And then there was, uh, uh, thankfully, uh, she's out of uh, out of elected office now. Christina Keneally, during her campaign in Fowler, she was always bumping into what is it, uh, CCP United Front. Uh, groups and then of course uh richard moles uh who could be a defense minister uh this week uh speaking over in in beijing talking about greater uh defense ties between the 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 two uh, australia and uh, communist china and i uh, mentioned 
yeah, Labor's uh, elder statesman, uh, Paul Keating, and uh, former Prime Minister and, of course, former New South Wales Premier Bob Carr, basically. Yeah, just, what is it? Uh, and there, and there's certainly a lot on the left, on the right, who just say, give communist China everything they want and, and then some more. Yeah, I don't think that approach is going to work, though, because as soon as you start to show a little bit of weakness and you do start to buckle, I think they can really take advantage and then see us as basically um, all for the taking. So I think you really have to be careful in how you approach this situation. Um, but, I mean, the Labor Party went in opposition it's very easy for them to basically go on the attack and say, oh, we're too harsh on China and all the rest of it, we should be a little bit. But when they're actually in government, then it's a different story. And then when the heat is on them, then they understand that they have to then start to um, change a few of their views and start to mend. I mean, once the heat's on in government, it's it's a totally different ball game. And this is the thing. I mean, a lot of people, um, and I'm loving the comments as well also that are coming through because it's it's definitely a serious issue and i think we really need to be careful in how we approach it and we 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 also have uh, the what is it as i said the the new uh well, ministry and uh, uh annual cabinet uh, being sworn in this week uh, but uh, tomorrow morning uh, the the new opposition uh the liberals and uh the national parties will uh, elect their leadership and if we will i'll just put up on the screen the the current state of the this is uh, what anthony green's uh projections because they're still counting what is it uh, absentee uh pre-poll uh so this is the the house of representatives so labor is projected to have 75 out of 151 the uh liberal and national parties 57 and then of course they're the others and there's what is that there's still three seats in doubt so mcnamara uh, which is in inner melbourne held by labor's uh, josh burns that could still be won by the greens which would deny labor a majority I think uh, Andrew Constance will win uh, Gilmore for the the Liberals, win it off Labor, and Michael Suka will will just hold on. Uh, but as you can see, uh, Labor just scraping over the line to majority government. It was wasn't a vote for Labor; it was a vote against the the Liberals uh, because. Uh, well, I say the Liberals deliberately because the Nationals held all their seat and the the others, uh, 16, uh, that includes uh, four Greens and seven Teals. Yeah, it's very interesting results there. And I mean, when you're looking at the seats in doubt and what's left of it, I mean, Labor could even be denied a majority. And the thing that I don't understand is why on election night it was actually called so quickly. I've never witnessed an election that was just called within about an hour of the program starting at um, about seven o'clock or so. People I wasn't were already called that early. I mean, we did a uh, election night live stream here uh, on uh, the Unshackled and Wilmsfront uh, channels, and it probably wasn't. Uh, well, the general trend was about mm. at eight thirty, and of course uh, by. 11, it was Morrison uh, conceded and uh, 
Albanese claimed victory, even though it wasn't clear uh, if if Labor was going to to get a majority or close uh, to a majority. But that's what happened in 2019, where it wasn't known on the night uh, whether mm-hmm. coalition would scrape over the line. Uh, obviously, the well, ABC and now Sky News and Channel 9, mm-hmm. they all have their, what is it, algorithms where they can uh, tell the result by what votes are still outstanding. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when I was watching it, I was actually at uh, an election um, event, like an after election event, and we were watching it on the TV screens. And from pretty early on, uh, first it said the Liberals are not going to be able to form a majority. And then after that, it basically said Labor looks to be either getting a minority uh, hung parliament government or a majority in their own right. But nevertheless, it was really... um, I mean, on on a, such a clear, um, when you're looking at the figures, they were pretty close. And I mean, even now, they're not 100% sure. And I still think that um, they were, I mean, without a doubt, the Greens would also um, obviously put their hat in the ring for Labor, um, which would um, give them the numbers that they need. But I, I just think um, to myself, it was a little bit too on the night, um, unclear exactly how it was going to go. I, I think it was just a little bit too soon. But nevertheless, when you're looking at the results, I do agree to uh, Gilmore and Deacon going towards um, the the Liberal Party, and it's going to be McNamara is going to be really unsure there, and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I mean, on the one note, it would be um, a lot of people are saying, well, if Labor do get a majority, then they're going to be held to account, and they're not going to be able to then blame the the crossbench for any um, issues that they had. But at the same time, um, if they do have crossbench. Um, um, they're present with them, then people can then say, well, it's a Labor Green government and they can use that as a form of attack too. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, what's the best way around this and how Labor can be held to account, whether it is on their own or whether it is with a, um, a Greens coalition. Well, they're definitely not going to have a majority in the, the Senate, uh, the, yeah. the Labor government. Uh, so this is the, again, Anthony Green's uh Senate uh, projection, so this is with 71.8% counted, but obviously then preferences have to be uh, distributed. So the Liberal and Nationals will have, will have it has a, here at least 31 and Labor Party uh, 26, the Greens 12, so that's 38 out of 76. Uh, Pauline Hanson has just looked like she's going to scrape back in. We'll go to the the Queensland results in a moment. Jackie Lambie is going to get a what do you call it? Call it a, a mini me uh, senator yeah. and uh, Tammy Tyrrell from Tasmania and uh, David Pocock. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my. No, that's all right. I was just about to say, <laughs> no, um, definitely. I mean, it is good to see Pauline scrape over the line. 
Um, we actually at one stage was looking at the UAP possibly getting something in Victoria, but we're not so certain now. So that's going to yeah, be a bit go, of let's, let's go to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so Greg Mirabella from the the Liberals is ahead, but it's going to depend on on preferences. They're only mm. ABC is only saying he's ahead because the Liberals have 0.29 percent of a quota left over, while United Australia Party only. 0.27% of a quota, 4%. Uh, Legalised cannabis and Pauline Hanson equal on 2.9%. Liberal Democrats, uh, 2.3%. So it's going to be close, that one. Greg Mirabella is the husband of former uh, Liberal MP uh, Sophie Mirabella, who used to hold the seat of Indi before it turned independent but you you have a look at pauline's vote because mel because uh, malcolm roberts when he was re-elected in well uh, when he got back into the senate i should say in 2019 he nearly pulled uh pulled a full quota of 14.3 percent pauline hansen is just at a half a quota here in fact uh amanda stoker who's third on the lmp ticket i mean she will have 0.48 of a quota but ABC is projecting that uh, Pauline will get uh, all of the the other uh, preferences before the the LNP. Like I, I was surprised that she polled uh, so poorly in 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 her home state. And of course, what is it? The surprise, the 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 the, the surprise package uh, was well, uh, the legalized cannabis party. Yeah, I mean, I, I really. I'm shocked at the result too, to be honest. I mean, when you're looking at the minor parties there, if um, you if you were to look at the One Nation um, combined with say UAP and also Liberal Democrats, that would basically make up similar to the quota that uh, Malcolm Roberts got the last time around. So I think there was a couple of the minor parties splitting the vote in stages, but in saying that they should have definitely performed a lot better than they did. And I was quite surprised and on election night, like, I mean, I couldn't believe it when I, when I seen the results coming in, there was definitely a 180 to think to thinking what it was going to be on the on the day. Like I definitely didn't didn't expect it at all. You're, you you uh, live and and work in Wollongong. Uh, that's where you were uh, campaigning and volunteering for the the UAP. Now both lower house seats in Wollongong, uh, Whitlam and Cunningham, they're extremely safe labor seats uh but what did you see on on the ground in the obviously the the weeks leading up pre-poll and election day you're definitely right they are safe seats but i think that there is a little bit of a shift happening in that there's um working class areas where they're starting to slowly turn away from labor because labor aren't really representing that kind of demographic anymore um, whereas, for instance, your more um, middle to upper class uh, people, more city centric people are more supportive of Labor. And I think that's where um, we're seeing a little bit of a shift in the vote. But um, even though it is a safe Labor seat on the ground, we had a lot of people saying to us, you know, lifelong Labor voter, but not this time after what's happened the last couple of years, definitely not going back to them. So we did see a little bit of a shift. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the as good of a shift that we were expecting for it to happen. Um, in Cunningham, we ended up polling around 5%, um, One Nation roughly around the same, around 4 point something percent. The Liberal Democrats, I think, got about 2% as well. 
So um, that was basically when we added our, our figures up together in that seat, it was roughly the same as what the Greens get on a national scale, about 11, 12% was basically what we were polling as the minor parties combined. And we really helped each other and work together well as well. Like all the minor parties were really helping each other out and we were really on the ground fighting this because um, even though a lot of people did uh, say that they were changing their vote, there was still the rusted on people that just wouldn't change. And that's nor normally the older demographics. They're just, oh yeah, voted Labor for 50 years, can't change my vote, you know, and they're just, no matter what Labor does to them, I mean, or who's representing Labor, because the candidate up here was such a dud as well. But no matter what the case being is, they just couldn't basically shift away from Labor. You know, that, that's something that we noticed. There was just such a demographic that wouldn't change at all, unfortunately. Well, looking at Cunningham uh, still, uh, all of the Labor oh. primary vote went to the Greens, minus 6.3% Labor plus... 6.3%. So that was obviously happening on a on a national scale as well. Many people many people uh, didn't believe that the Greens would poll as well as the the polls were suggesting, but what is it? It was a green bath in in Brisbane. Uh, mm. even that it was a, a teal bath in Melbourne and, and Sydney. And what is it? It was also a rainbow bath as well with all three uh, uh, gay male Liberal MPs losing their seats in the, the, the inner city. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, with the, um, with the vote there, uh, I was shocked at the Greens vote because I actually thought that there was going to be a segment of that um, Green voter base, normally a hippie type of crowd that was anti-vax and that would actually rebel against that party. And no doubt there would be some people even some people I knew that were green leaning in the past that did come over to the freedom parties, but it wasn't enough. Unfortunately, I think um, it's very hard that people seem to be treating political uh, parties like sporting teams. I mean, once you've got a sporting team and a code, it's just inbuilt in your system and they just won't change. No matter even if the, the political party changes in ideology, people, even if they disagree with the change, they'll still stick with the team. And I think that's something that people need to, understand that they should be embracing a set of principles rather than just being so loyal to a particular party because if the party changes it's no longer that party anymore that that's the way that i sort of see that and uh when your mob is in government like all of the uh i know that you're mainly more on facebook but the the labor twitter uh drips they're going to be severely uh disappointed with uh the 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 federal labor uh, government but obviously they'll they'll still because they're they're the most hardcore shields uh there is they're still going to, to vote and campaign for labor at every uh federal and state election yeah 100 percent. and the thing is also to, to note that they've got the lowest primary vote since 1910 i believe 32 percent is so low like i mean for them to actually scrape over the line with such a small margin is is crazy like i mean Normally, they, they say that you have to be in the high 30s to be able to scrape in, and they were able to scrape in with 3% less than the Liberals on a primary um, national basis. But another thing um, to note also is that a lot of people don't mind the, the Teal effect because it has taken a few of the moderate Liberals that a lot of people really disliked out of the game now, which then might make a focus on the party to slowly shift, especially with Dutton as... Um, the sort of leader that's going to come in now, um, I think there might be a little bit of a shift in focus because I, I've been actually told a lot of the media are saying, well, 
the Liberals have to go to the left because of the Teal effect. But I've actually um, spoken to higher ups in the Liberal Party and they've actually said to me, look, we're actually not focused on that and we're actually going to go towards the right because I think even though there's a few city seats that the Tills have won us, off us, you can't continue to kind of um, um, basically play to, to that kind of, a, because even if you're sort of playing to the left there and trying to cater to them, they're still going to vote um, for a left-wing candidate regardless and you can't win them over. So it's better to focus on the outer suburbs where you can actually get some ground because, I mean, the Liberals are performing more and more better with working-class Australians than the Labor are now, you know. And, I mean, if you're looking at us um, at a local, local booths that we were actually campaigning in, our strongest uh, areas where we got about 11%, um, UAP got 11% in um, areas that were really low socio-economic uh, areas, strong Labor traditionally, and those areas there, we actually had a drop in the Labor vote by 20%. You know, so the, the Labor vote held up in the more higher-end suburbs, but when it came to working class, the Labor Party collapsed. I mean, there was people that were just sick and tired of them, and they just saw the direction of the party, rejected it, and like I said, 20% in primary drop, drop for those areas is just madness. Like, that is a big deal. I know that that's a, a, a popular uh, strategy that uh, many Liberal supporters are proposing, but they've actually got to be able to, to win uh, these outer uh, metro suburban seats. And I know that in Victoria, uh, if you have a look here, there was only a 0.8% swing uh, to the, the ALP, but uh, the Liberals still lost four seats, Labor gained two in the, the, the inner inner city, Higgins and Chisholm, and of course the Teals picked up two. There were uh, swings to the Liberals in the, the southeast and in the northwest of Melbourne, but not enough to flip the, flip the seats. Uh, we've still got the the state election coming up, but it seemed that uh, there was just, especially in Kuyong, there was just so much resources by the Liberals poured into same Josh Josh Frydenberg, and I never got like even you know these like Labor right people saying what a tragedy for the nation that Josh Frydenberg lost, and what is it Alexander Downer said the voters got it wrong, which I was surprised that he said like why was he so good like he like. He was a really bland, uh, dry personality. And he always had these like same talking points. The Australian economy is uh, very resilient or it's roaring back. He'd always come up with these zingers, which he'd deliver so boringly. Well, I think he really appealed to that kind of inner city elite, um, like a lot of the Liberals that were um, in these seats that the Tills won often. But this is why I mean that the argument that the media are making that the Liberals should shift to the left in order to win these seats back, those seats are basically gone. And I don't see the Liberals ever winning them back because people in those uh, seats are, are now voting along progressive, socially progressive lines. And if they're supporting Teal candidates, I mean, you could have the most progressive Liberal in there, but it's going to be very hard to win them back because the demographic has just shifted so much. Um, so even with people like Zimmerman, for instance, I mean, you can't get any more left-leaning Liberal than that. So why didn't he hold his seat? So that to me says that it would be very difficult for them to go down that path in order to try and win them back. And they should remain 
um, focused on areas that are traditionally more labor and that are starting to turn because the working class isn't really keeping with the with the Labor Party anymore. And I mean, you see Tony Abbott's victory in 2013. And I mean, that was an absolute landslide and areas say in Western Sydney and more working class areas were coming towards the Liberals. And I think that's where they can appeal with a, a conservative like Dutton. I think he can basically get that sort of um, that family vote that sort of um, and push that kind of social conservative message, um, be strong on national security. I mean, the Labor Party in their first term is going to be an absolute disaster and it's going to be very difficult for them to claw back. I mean, we saw what happened under Rundi Blatt and just survived the first term only bare security and the beginning of the revolving prime ministership. Uh, so far, what is that? Uh, the, the boats haven't started, but I would assume with uh, Sri Lanka broke and uh, with uh, uh, food and fuel shortages that uh, there's certainly going to be many Sri Lankans who are going to try and uh, flee, uh, flee to Australia uh, as economic migrants. Just said here that uh, my Odyssey is is not working, but uh, never mind. I thought it was saying that uh, my mic had, had cut out again, but it's all good here on, on YouTube. But it, it, obviously with the new Labor rules, uh, uh, Anol is safe for the next uh, three years, but certainly the economy is going to go way downhill. Prices, food prices are going to continue to... Uh, to go up. Uh, even Biden is talking about uh, food shortages and other supply issues. Energy is going up uh, from uh, July 1. Uh, Australia is going to get poorer. 100% there. And I mean, I just actually want to address a comment um, of someone saying that they're happy that uh, Josh was out. And I agree with that because if Josh didn't lose his seat, then he could be the the leader of the Liberal Party right now, and it would be a totally different um, approach that he would take. Um, I mean, I, I totally understand that. Um, so even with the Teals winning, there is a little bit of um, a, a good thing in that, that it happened that way. But when it comes to what you're mentioning there, I actually believe that the Liberals could win a landslide in three years' time based on if they focus on the cost of living and basically focus on people that are struggling and really appeal to the, the lower to middle income that are really doing it tough with fuel, like you said, food is going to go up. Um, I mean, Labor has inherited a, a difficult situation here. And in a way, I mean, when you think about it, it could be actually a good thing that the Liberals lost here because now Labor has to deal with an absolute chaotic mess. And um, with the Liberals now being in a position of opposition, in three years' time, they could be looking at winning an absolute landslide, I believe. I mean, just focusing on those issues, national security will come up again because, like you said, the boats will start coming in. They can be strong on that point, and it's going to be very difficult. I mean, just like Joe Biden being very unpopular as a president right now, I mean, in, its, in his first term, that will happen to Anthony Albanese. He's not a charismatic person. I mean, it's very difficult for Labor to win elections at all, and, I mean, they rarely do. And that's why I was very surprised he did get over the line. But um, I think without the teal effect and stuff, it just wouldn't have really been the same. But Anthony Albanese is basically a dead man walking here. I mean, he's going to be very difficult for him to win a second term, I believe. It's just going to be a matter of how much they lose by next time around. 
Yes, I can certainly see that happening. And uh, certainly uh, Labor has indica indicated that they're going to go uh, full in with the uh, First Nations uh, voice to Parliament from the, the Uluru Statement uh, from the, the heart to, to have that enshrined in the the constitution in a, a referendum. Uh, we've, we've seen, you mentioned Biden, what is it, his attorney general setting the, uh, setting the, the, the feds on uh, parents who don't want uh, their children uh, taught uh, critical race theory and other uh, and uh, what is it, uh, sexual degenerate stuff in, in schools. And that's been a disaster uh, for him. Uh, uh, Albanese, he, it was, uh, he tried to sort of uh, uh, slap down those sort of like cult, uh, cultural Marxist issues by saying that, yeah, that the definition of a woman is an adult human female and men can't get pregnant. But it's going to be the, the First Nation stuff where I think they're going to do the, uh, do the identity politics. Yeah, I think they will too. And I mean, that idea of um, genetic um, gender and stuff like that, that may shift as well, because if the Greens put enough pressure on the Labor Party, we've seen how Labor Party's national policies around um, that has changed. I mean, that party once believed, if you're looking back 10 years ago or so, um, that marriage was between a man and a woman, and that slowly changed. So I do think the Labor Party being a progressive party will slowly change with push from the Greens. Um, and the media, of course, establishment are going to really want them to go down that avenue. Um, on the Indigenous stuff, 100%, I think they will definitely um, go down that uh, narrow path. But, I mean, a lot of Aboriginal groups are against that too because, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't do anything to better their uh, situations that they've got on the ground. I mean, they're really struggling. They've got um, child abuse. They've got uh, alcohol problems. And, I mean, instead of addressing these things, this is just a massive virtue signal that does nothing at all to solve the problems that they're facing. So uh, I think when it comes to these sort of issues, um, people end up getting sick of the Liberal Party after a little while when they're in government for say a decade. But then when they get a taste of Labor again, they start to realise that they don't like the taste. You know, so they, they think let's have a change. But then when the change comes, they're like, oh yeah, I remember now, I didn't really like this before. And that's why they don't stay in government very long. At least at the, the federal level, uh, at the state level, particularly here in uh, Victoria, uh, of the, the uh, coming up to uh, the state election here in November, uh, the, the Labor Party will have uh, governed for 29 of the, the past 40 years. Uh, there, there was just the, the seven years under Kennett in the 90s and then the, the four years of Bellew Napthine. And uh, yeah, we've we've seen in Victoria uh, when Labor gets entrenched and uh, appoints all their uh, their mates to, to all uh, and allies to, to all of these various uh, uh, bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic bodies, uh, then you have this uh, systematic uh, bias, and that's why Dan Andrews has been able to get away with. Uh, all of uh, all of these uh, allegations of, of of corruption because there's not the the checks set, there's not many checks and, and balances and why he was uh, able to well uh, partly why he was able to ride out the uh, the six lockdowns that we had here 
in uh, Victoria over the past uh, two years. We had the what is it, the first brutal uh, what is it, stage uh, level four lockdown in 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 twenty twenty. Uh, so definitely, and we saw during the the, uh, the the pandemic that the the states uh, they could certain <laughs> certainly uh, interfere with our lives like we never thought they could. Yeah, it is absolute madness that people are voting these types of governments back in. I mean, and, and these people that are supporting such measures. I mean, I really thought that after these couple of years of all these uh, lockdowns, restrictions. I mean, people, I think, uh, because they've scaled them back recently, a lot of people maybe forgot actually what they went through uh, last yeah, year and the year before. Campaign. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they forgot that we couldn't travel, you know, 5Ks out of our range of um, where, where we lived and, you know, the curfews and stuff. I mean, these are really extreme measures. Yet a lot of people are still voting for these kind of parties and it makes you think maybe they just haven't been punished enough. Um, I just, you know, when, when you actually go after um, the cost of living and when, once they start to struggle to afford to eat, I think that's when people are then going to wake up and say, okay, hold on a second, something's happening here. And when you're really affecting the bottom line, that's when people are going to start to wake up. But unfortunately, it takes something extreme that for them to change their mindset. Um, what do you think is going to be... Um, in regards to the Victorian election, how do you think it's going to ride out? Do you think the Andrews government is going to add or do you think they're going to go down a little? Well, what's your thoughts on that? Well, it's looking like Dan Andrews will be re-elected. The, the, the Teals, uh, because of their success in, in Melbourne and Sydney, are going to contest those same areas at the, the state election. So that'll be a new dynamic. And most of the senior Victorian uh, Liberal uh, MPs, such as uh, Deputy Leader David Southwick, he has Caulfield, former leader Michael O'Brien uh, holds uh, Melvin, and then there's obviously the uh, well, Tim Smith uh, is uh, departing Q, uh, but that's considered like a, a blue ribbon uh, seat. And so you can sort of see the same thing happening that instead of trying to go for the outer suburbs, they're just going to, the existing MPs are just going to pull the resources to save their inner city seats, which they're, they're probably going to lose to Labor uh, and the Teals. And what is it? Their response to their, what is it, four seat loss in uh, in a Melbourne, the Victorian Liberals was to expel uh, Bernie Finn this week, not for any disloyalty. He's been a hundred percent loyal to the Liberal Party for since he's been a member, but he got uh, expelled because he basically just reaffirmed his hundred percent pro-life views. That was it. Yeah, I, that was really sad when I saw that because he came out and said, "Look, I've been a member for forty-one years." And I mean, for someone to be that dedicated to the cause and a Matthew guy is such a spineless leader. And there's no way that someone like that as a liberal could ever win in Victoria because people are thinking, well, you've got labor and you've got labor light. I might as well just go with the real stuff with the real communist party rather than the one that's a fake. I mean, people have to understand that you have to be a, an alternative, like something with an alternative vision. You can't compete in labor basically for the same kind of demographic that they're going to appeal to. You have to be focused on your people and be appealing to the base. You know, that, that's what you need to do. And I mean, being pro-life shouldn't be a, um, an issue that is uh, controversial. 
within the Liberal Party, within the right, uh, right side of politics. I mean, it should be quite standard. And what Liberals need to do is take their resources away from the CBD seats, which they are likely to lose, like you said, anyway, and refocus on trying to gain the regions and the outer suburbs again, because that's where it can be won. I'm seeing massive drops in Labor support in those areas. At the same time, I'm seeing Labor rise in the cities. There's such a different shift happening that the Labor Party isn't the worker class party anymore, that they're starting to appeal because of the social progressive issues to the elites and that the Liberals with their, well, they're supposed to be socially conservative, they're appealing more to the working class people. And all they need to do is focus on um, basically issues of cost of living, you know, really like just your standard kind of issues, you know, bread on the table kind of issues. And that's what people are going to, where they're going to win votes, you know. I mean, that's where they need to focus on. And they really have an opportunity to do that. I believe that they have an opportunity. We've seen it under several leaders. And I mean, the media always go out and say, you know, conservative leaders can't win. But all of the victories that the Liberal parties have had on a massive scale have all been from conservatives. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull nationally just barely scraped over the line that time in 2016. Um, but Howard, landslides, Tony Abbott had a landslide. I mean, these are all people that were conservative, yet this is where the media is saying that the Liberal Party can't win under conservative leadership. So all they have to do is seriously look at the, the history and the results and say, well, if we're wanting to win here, this is where we need to go. Don't worry about what the media pressure is and actually focus on where they can do well. Uh, some random black says, Tim, can you get on Bernie Finn? I'll, I'll certainly, I've interviewed him before. I interviewed him at the 2019 March for the Babies, uh, the last one that uh, was uh, uh, permitted in Melbourne. So I'll certainly have a chat to him uh, before uh, the November election. Uh, but I know that, what is it, the, the New South, despite their absolute mess uh, with uh, pre-selections before the, the federal election, the New South Wales Liberals, they think they're an election-winning machine because uh, all of their premiers have been moderates. Uh, Barry O'Farrell, Mike Baird and Gladys Berejiklian, she's, she's got a net uh, positive rating of 40, uh, despite her having to resign because of that ICAC investigation and uh for well giving dan andrews a, a run for his his money with the the brutal uh lockdown of of 2021 and your wollongong is considered part of was considered part of greater sydney for that uh lockdown and so you uh, you went through the 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 whole lot and what was their famous last line that uh, we've got the resources in place that will never have to lock down again. And Perite, he's shown himself just as, uh, what is that, uh, cowardly on COVID. He implemented measures which he admitted uh, don't work. And even though he's a Catholic social conservative, uh, he more leans to, towards being a libertarian globalist. Yeah, I do get that from him. I mean, um, He's someone that I think can play the part of appealing to different groups of people. So he can appeal to social conservatives. He can also appeal to that demographic of what you would term um, like the moderate globalist type of um, elites too. Um, so he's someone that I think um, if he plays his card right, he can definitely win the following election next year. And he can definitely be someone that can lead for quite some time. 
But, um, I mean, New South Wales is more of a conservative state than Victoria and does tend to be more uh, liberal supporting than Labor. But in saying that, when you're looking at um, the approach that you take to the state election and what you can actually do here, I still do encourage minor parties to take part in the election process. But I actually was thinking of a bit of a, um, a plan or what I think would be a good idea that since we have seen the rise of the teals in the cities, I actually think something that would work out really well is if we ended up getting a similar effect but having a range of what you would call um, labour orientated independence running in the outer suburbs and working class areas like, like a bit of a red wave. Christina Keneally, like yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, totally showed that it was possible to defeat a parachuted labour hack mm -hmm. and her style of campaign can be replicated. Yes, definitely. I mean, she worked hard the, on the electorate and that's what you need. It's not only about having funding, which a lot of people say, well, you need the funding for that, but it's more than that. It's about actually getting locally and involved in the community and really connecting to the voter. And it shows that in a Labor safe seat that people can switch. They'll never switch to Liberal in a lot of matters because a lot of people are uncomfortable with making such a change, but they'll be comfortable switching to an independent. So an independent can basically appeal to a lot of different segment of the voting population. And Di Lee, as when she came out, she actually said, well, I'm not like the Teal candidates at all. My demographic and my community isn't, you know, upper class elites. And, you know, she basically stated that we're a different breed of type of independent. And in saying that, like I said, you can have someone like her running in a range of Labor seats and those seats can easily switch. I mean, we've actually locally in my area, um, our Wollongong mayor is an independent. Um, the Shell Harbour mayor was a Liberal candidate in the past and he switched to independent and he won off Labor. And this is a safe Labor area. So people, um, when they've got an option of an independent that works hard and is community focused, they're actually comfortable in supporting that person. And we're seeing a lot of independence gain in Labor areas. So I think just like the tills we're able to do in the Liberal areas, I think that we can do the same thing in Labor areas as well when it comes to uh, a red wave of independence, so to speak. And uh, Di Lee, she also uh, stood up for her uh, community, local government area of Fairfield, which uh, mm -hmm. suffered the, the brunt of uh, Gladys's brutal lockdown. And uh, as as uh, we, we discussed, it wasn't mentioned during the, the campaign uh, COVID because basically they, the, the major parties didn't want to bring up uh, bad memories. Though, what is it? We're a couple of days now from the Australian winter. Uh, I do know that COVID cases have, have ticked down now uh, in uh, across the nation, I think, because the election campaign was a super spreader event. But I think a lot of Australians are quite rightly uh, uh, paranoid about uh, what the, well, especially with a Labor Albanese uh, government and federal Labor loved the the quarantine camps and uh, couldn't get enough of the, they, they wanted more mRNA uh, vaccines. What it is that Elbow was, Anil has said that he wants a, what is it, a step up strategy for, for COVID. It's, it's not over. Definitely not. And I mean, we're actually lucky in New South Wales being a liberal state that we didn't get any of these quarantine camps built over here. But um, when it comes to um, the, the 
this pandemic, so to speak. Um, I mean, you've got the introduction of this monkeypox now, you know, just to sort of start scaring people again. But I, I well, think... Well, there's a vaccine it, for it, a smallpox yeah. vaccine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it didn't take them long to come up with that one, that's for sure. And I mean, when they're talking about... I mean, the Labor Party come out and, and start to engage with their sort of base and say, oh, you know, Australian manufacturing needs to, you know, we have to get away from this, you know, we have to get Australian. And what do they think of? Oh, yeah, mRNA vaccines, you know, as Australian manufacturing. They can't think of anything else. <laughs> oh, well, that's just an empty promise because, you know, yeah. Dan Andrews, he wanted with, you know, one of the reasons he signed the Belt and Road and so he could like easily get uh, cheap Chinese uh, uh, things like uh, masks and uh, uh, from China and uh, trains uh, from China. He was very salty uh, when it was torn up by the federal uh, government. So, you know, don't trust Labor when they say build locally. Yeah, definitely. And that's the thing as well. Like, I mean, that's why the Labor Party is um, starting to lose a lot of its core base is because, I mean, when, when they're signing up to agreements like that, that isn't what the Labor Party ever once stood for. They were a very national-focused, uh, protectionist type of party, and they've just totally swapped and, and really embraced these globalist kind of ideals. I mean, and under Albanese, I mean, it's it's going to be a lot more of a focus. I mean, to his credit, I must say, at least ScoMo in his dying days as Prime Minister, he actually came out and said, you know what, I mean when I get re-elected, I'm not going to sort of do lockdowns anymore. I'm not really into it anymore. You know, we're back to normal now. And Labor never gave that same promise, see? So I think Labor Party, if given the no, opportunity... Uh, you can never trust uh, tr trust Morrison. I mean, he said no, he true. was, what was that, open to signing their uh, WHO pandemic treaty, then he said it was, was rubbish. And uh, throughout uh, the, the the two years of the, 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 the lockdowns, like, he... Uh, what is it? He tried. He he basically did this signal that you know I think that uh, you know these states are, are are going too far. But he enabled uh, the the states to to set up with the Medicare Express app, the uh, vaccine passport uh, system, the allowing the the vaccine immunization register to be what is it downloaded to people's uh, phones, and he was the he he, he was the the, the the prime minister who uh who well until very recently uh kept trapped uh unvaccinated Australians in their their, their own country. Yeah, I mean he definitely is a coward of a leader. I mean there's no no definitely denying that. Um, at the same time, I'm getting people saying to me that it was all part of some sort of mass plan or something that, you know, Morrison bungled the, the vaccine rollout on purpose and because he had like a, a bit of, you know, secretly he kind of sort of had sympathies and all that. I mean, you know, it's hard to believe that sort of stuff because at the end of the day, I kind of understand that mentality of people thinking that. But as a leader... I mean, you should say, well, I'm not having blood on my hands with this and just say, look, I'm not doing this. I'm not going down. Like, I understand the approach that people are thinking, well, maybe he tried to derail things and tried to sort of stuff up here and there and that under Labor would have been worse. But we shouldn't be looking at the Liberal Party and thinking, well, they're not as bad as Labor. We should actually look at the party and say, well, they're a good party. And we can't get that from them because they've shown to be basically cowards, you know? I mean... And a lot of people just continue on, oh, yeah, but they're not as bad, but we shouldn't look at our leaders like this. It shouldn't be about yeah. the least worst candidate that is running the country. It should be a good candidate running the country. 
Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Uh, the the uh, coalition are less bad on the or the the COVID uh, restrictions, and this is also why it's concerning the uh, yeah, like obviously the new health minister will be uh, sworn in next week, and you'll have the 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 the, the COVID zero uh lobby wanting you know push you know masks and more mm. uh, more vaccines although uh certainly uh, i think that even though the what is that uh the australian people bought uh the 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 fear porn uh for mm. the first 18 months when australia was open and then the the omicron wave swept the nation and mm. a lot of people got it and realized it's it's not that bad and now everyone's everyone knows like all families that are getting it and it's uh yeah. you know they're obviously feeling crappy for a, a week or two but they uh they, they they get over it there was certainly a switch that because there wasn't lockdowns during the omicron wave in in january it it was a significant um what significant progress given that because australia still has the reputation for the lockdowns the quarantine camps police choking people for not wearing masks outside uh but yeah the the australian people still they 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 bought the stay home stay lives uh you know mask up uh and what is it and you know uh get vax get boosted and this is why the uh, the what is it majority is still voted for the the major parties, including Greens. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I wasn't picturing that kind of result, and on the night I just couldn't believe it. But on the ground, there was still signs of a lot of people that were brainwashed into accepting this kind of narrative. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was at a pre-poll booth, and I just sort of visited because I was managing the campaign locally down there. And I actually had a situation where a voter came out of the booth and was handing paperwork with all the different parties um, out to basically redistribute to us so we could recycle and reuse them. And one of the um, Labor um, volunteers, it was an old lady about, about maybe 70 years of age, and she got the uh, paperwork. She gave the Greens one to the Greens, and then she looked at the UIP one and she scrunched it up and put it in her pocket. And I actually approached her and I said, can you give us the UAP paperwork back? And she just chucked it at me. You know what I mean? And I said to her, look, that's a bit rude, isn't it? And her response was, oh, you're anti-vaxxers. And I'm like, we're not anti-vax. We're just pro-choice. And we just want people to the ability to choose, you know? And she says, oh, you know, and scoffed. And then the Greens volunteer comes over and sort of gets involved and says, oh, you're killing everybody, you know? Or, oh, you've got to trust the science. Yeah, you've got to trust the science. You're killing everyone. And I'm like... You know, and I said, trust the science. Yeah, who's paying the people that are telling you that? You know, like it's it's just one of those things that a lot of people have bought it. And I think deep down, a lot of people know something's not right, but they just don't want to admit it because once you are starting to get awake to these kind of uh, realities, it makes life more uncomfortable for you. You know, when you start to think that the government isn't there for your best interests, I mean, life starts to become a little bit more stressful and anxious then, you know, and a lot of people don't want to live in such a reality. They want to, just like in the Matrix, just be in a fake world where everything is nice and dandy. And that that's just the thing that I think a lot of people in time will start to understand that they've, you know, bought a lie, but a lot of people just won't want to admit it. And that's the thing that we're noticing right now. It's 
becoming more obvious in time comes by that something's definitely not right here. And also during the the past two years, well, the the inflation and cost of living is starting to to, to bite now, but it's because uh, people uh, they were able to get all the food that they needed during uh, lockdowns, like McDonald's and KFC were were, were 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 still open, and the government paid people to stay at home. Like everyone had access to the. Uh, fast internet and so could watch Netflix to to pass the time and there was obviously lots of people who could work uh, remotely uh, in their pajamas via a Zoom and so there was a lot of them that actually loved uh, lockdown and probably miss it uh, as well but uh, the reason why I uh, eager to mention Sri Lanka like their government has been forced to resign uh, because that is really the the only thing that leads to radical change in a country. Things have to get really, really bad where you can't fill up your car, uh, the lights go out, and you can't find your food. Yeah. I mean, when the issue of food comes into play, that's when we're really going to start a cha- seeing a change. I mean, there's no doubt about that people can take so much when they're going to starve or when they're you know struggling to afford to put food on the table that's the critical issue that's going to make them switch and i mean it's hard to know that people have to wait for something like that to happen i mean people should see the signs beforehand and it's just a just a shame that it really it has to go to that for it to happen but unfortunately society is like that you know i mean they just um they really have to be pushed to the limits for them to then say, okay, we need to start thinking properly now and, you know, making the right decisions and accepting the right sort of, you know, instead of the false narratives. But um, the problem is also that the representatives that we have in our areas are just delusioned and they're just so far from reality. I mean, the one that won our seat uh, for Labor, that was a new candidate and wasn't an incumbent. Um, She actually um, is an 18-year staffer. So basically just, you know, got handed the role easily, you know, didn't yeah, even go through selection, which is quite common with Labor, especially to, to have candidates like that, just snuck in the role without any uh, pre-selection process or anything. And then also um, at the same time, um, she's actually married to um, the Wollongong state member, uh, Paul Scully, for instance. And a lot of people didn't know that because on her um, ballot paper, she used her maiden name. So she's kind of disguised the connection there. So now we've got, for instance, in my area, the state member and the federal member, a husband and wife team, which is unheard of. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, how bad that sounds and definitely stinks, you know what I mean? But um, oh, one family. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, what is that, a, a, like a power couples in, in politics and political dynasties. What is it? Uh, mm. uh first wife, uh, Carmel Tebbett. Uh, she was the state yeah. member for uh, Marrickville, uh, a deputy uh, premier under Christina uh, Keneally. What is it? We have the, the, the power couple down here, uh, Labor MLC, Harriet Singh, married to Dan Andrews, Chief of Staff, uh, Lizzie Ratcliffe. And uh, what is it in New South Wales? Maurice Payne is married to the Deputy uh, State Deputy Liberal Leader, Stuart Ayres. Oh, sorry, they're not married, they're partners, de facto. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, this is the problem. I mean, we're not looking at the work ethic and the character of the person. It's all about who you know rather than what you know. 
And we're getting that a lot. And I mean, a lot of people don't like that kind of stench that we've got in the two-party uh, system at the moment because we're not really getting local, real people for candidates. I mean, they just go from university to staff a job to basically being the candidate, just in that kind of um, you know uh, transition. And we do deserve better than that as people, but people keep voting this way without really realising what's going on on a local level. I mean, for instance, we really connected with the local crowd of people. Unfortunately, it just wasn't our sort of time where enough people came over to our side. And I mean, we also had the, the Palmer factor, which really played into it too. And that made things difficult because a lot of people, they did like our policies, but it was just the damaging of Palmer in the media and stuff. And that was yeah, enough for them to say, yeah. Because he has a like a pre-existing uh, uh, political yeah. uh, political incarnation. I mean, he was the member mm. for Fairfax, twenty thirteen sixteen. I certainly wasn't a fan of his party in the twenty thirteen or twenty nineteen, but I certainly liked uh, United Australia Party three point oh. Um, and yeah, Craig, uh, Craig Kelly was the well the the leader. Clive Palmer was the was the chairman. It actually had a core philosophy: freedom forever, no more lockdowns, no more uh, mandates. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, they had potential to do something great, and I mean, Craig Kelly was a really good leader. Like, I really admire him. But unfortunately, um, and someone just mentioned about the Palmer raids. I think one thing about that is that they could have done better in marketing themselves in. I mean, you see the Labor and Liberal parties were um, very negative in their campaigning. And I think that the UAP might have been able to um, have negative ads on the majors and they might have cut through a little bit, but they did try and think, well, people don't like the negative ads. We'll go positive. We'll just say, you know, a policy or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we'll do a 15-second clip or whatever highlighting a policy of ours. We'll be very populist in our messaging appeal to you know, pensioners appeal to people, you know, with hex debts, appeal to people. Um, I mean, our housing policy was was a really strong policy that would have helped a lot of people. I mean, with the freezing of the... of the, um, uh, the uh, Terrible rate. economic policy, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's definitely not something that libertarians would like. But, I mean, we've found people that generally say are Labor voters or people that are more sort of populist-leaning. I mean, that's something that would appeal but yet it didn't really cut through to the electorate because um, they just had a negative view mainly on Palmer. I think that's the number one thing that destroyed or derailed the, the UAP's campaign. And I think if um, Palmer did take more of a back step and didn't have his space on the brand and just funded it behind closed doors, he would have done a lot better. The party would have done a lot better. But um, unfortunately with these leaders, um, ego gets in place. And someone asked me about Q&A. I, I was on, that, that was actually quite a while back. Um, but I was, uh, I did ask a question on, um, on the Liberal Party with uh, conservative and progressive sort of um, yeah, trend. James yeah. Patterson, the yeah, yeah that's, right, that's right, yeah, yeah, that was quite a while back, so that's probably where he, where he noticed me from. But um, yeah, I think, I think the party they do have potential, but they really need to start to like Clive, if he's serious, has to start to play more of a backroom role and not put his face out there because he, he's a marketing expert, he should know that he's not a popular guy you know, in the general sphere of things. So he should just say to himself, look, if I want the best uh, for the party and I want to actually get results, I need to play more of a, like Simon Holmes at court. Like, I mean, he didn't put his face out there. He funded it. Yeah, you know, he was a funder. He he didn't really sort of, um, he wasn't really like right out there as a face. And he he did a run. 
Yeah, he didn't yeah. have his face on billboards. That's right. Exactly. And he was able to capitalize and do, and I mean, that actually helped. I mean, if he actually came out and people were really sort of, and I, I know some people were aware of this already, but if, if more people understood that, like, you know, a, a multimillionaire is funding the campaign and it's a real sort of snobby, rich kind of sort of um, uh, thing that's happening here, a lot of people might have been a little bit more hesitant, but he was um, very able to uh, be in the back room and not really put his face out there. So, and yeah, someone's mentioning about um, uh, forming of parties, and I don't think that will ever happen because it's just too much ego. Um, yeah. On the right, on the right, everyone wants to be the leader. You know, that's the problem. And there is a little bit of difference in in some policy approaches. I mean, Lib Dems being more libertarian, and then you know, One Nation, you have been a little bit more sort of uh, populist economically, a little bit more leaning to the left. So there is a bit of policy difference, but personality is the the key thing here, and that's why we've got so many. Uh, political parties on the right because everyone just wants to be the leader of it and have their own vision and there might be only a five percent difference between a lot of parties but that's enough for people to say yeah no i want to put my stamp on it and i want to be the one leading it and i mean if we were one party there's no doubt about that we would be neck and neck with the greens i mean there's no doubt about it because when you're adding our votes up and our tallies on the national scale we're basically equaling the greens so i think and that would help also because there's one party of focus and Greens don't really have much competition on the left. I mean, they've got little minor socialist parties, but they're not really gaining much traction. So I think the right does have to maybe in the future think of doing something like that if they're willing to try and sort of uh, succeed uh, on a mass scale. I think that's something that they have to look at. Who becomes the leader? That's the problem. You know, no one's going to want to relinquish their position of leadership. Uh, we've got a super chat over on Entropy from 10.6 for three Australian dollars. Thank you, 10.6. Will people regret not voting for 3% interest rates when they cross 10%? Well, I'm sure everybody who's got uh, a mortgage, I'm not sure if you have a, a, a mortgage, Damien, we'd all love to pay the, the lowest interest rate possible, mm. uh, but that's not realistic uh, because with... Uh, with uh, low interest rates, the only way to keep them artificially low is for reserve banks to just print more money. And that's, they've printed heaps over the past two years and that's why inflation is happening. Yeah, and, I mean, I've actually um, heard from some people saying that, for instance, house prices, I mean, we're expecting it to drop down as interest rates yeah. go up. Some people reckon that might not even happen because of the inflation. Um, well, issues. the reserve bank meeting this Tuesday, Oh no! Yeah, it this, sorry, uh, it'll be next Tuesday because what is that? This Tuesday will be the thirty-first, still May, so it'll be the seventh. So not not yeah. this Tuesday, next Tuesday. I mean, historically they are still very low. So I mean, it might take us some time. It might even be next year that they do start to take a hit when people really become mortgage stressed. At this stage, locally, I've seen that there hasn't been any change in the market at all, and it's still very expensive to buy over here. So I think maybe next year it would be a little bit of a different story and things will shift unless uh, people are, for instance, um, just continuing to buy and there are maybe people like um, that are well off just buying multiple houses because they've just got the money to afford it. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, like if you have the, what is it, uh, if the big business gets what they want and uh, skilled migration uh returns uh then that's obviously going to artificially prop up the property market like it did before the international mm -hmm. borders were cut. 
Oh yeah, I mean it will come to a stage where it just it's not feasible. I mean the the both especially in Sydney and Melbourne it's just absolutely chaotic. I mean um it's still quite affordable to move out in um in regional and rural areas, but the thing is we've got a problem here that the young people don't really want to do that. They want to stay where put where they've grown up, you know, when when they were children, yeah. they want to be with family. Post uh, post the lockdowns, it's mm. suburban prices are increasing, but in the mm. CBD, because who wants to get locked down in a in a high rise apartment tower with like you know just basically a square room that you're trapped in twenty three hours a day? Uh, so it's like really cheap to get a like an apartment unit uh, in the the CBD, but the the suburbs especially the, the the ones that have turned uh, teal, it's mm. going up. Yes. I mean, suburbs that are not far from the city are definitely really expensive. And I mean, even in my area, because we're not that far from Sydney, really. I mean, it's um, it's an expensive area now. Even the low socioeconomic area here, um, the cheapest house you'll find is probably about 700000 See, So yeah, it's, not, it's not very cheap at all. Really, really high. Oh, oh, yeah, of course it is, you know. And, I mean, I've even seen a bit of a shift in the country prices too. I mean, if you go out in country towns also, they've gone up quite a fair bit too. Not yeah. as bad as, um, yeah. as the city. escaping mm. the, uh, well, even the, the suburbs because they, they, uh, they don't want to get trapped if there's any future lockdowns in the, what is it? Because, yeah, this is the... This has been the the terrible legacy of this pandemic that lockdowns are the have been the the go to, and that's why everyone, you know, holds their breath when there's you know what is it monkeypox or Japanese encephalitis or what is that you know there's a there's always what is it uh, somebody like in China getting infected with a new what is it strain of bird flu from a chicken or something. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it's crazy how people go down these sort of. Um down these um, narratives and just accept them so easily but we are seeing a shift we are seeing a lot of people wanting a um <laughs> just uh, some random bloke buzzfeed called me out right i mean any, anything to the to the right of um you know of yeah um, 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 well that uh, uh mark de stefano who wrote that buzzfeed hit piece on you i mean yeah. he's self-destructed his career a uh, journalistic career and the the UK yeah. by trying to sneak into a Zoom call of uh, a rival uh, paper. So he got his uh, comeuppance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's madness. I mean, like, I, I the, the far right, I mean, it's uh, so loosely used these days that everyone that's not a, basically a communist is far right anyway, according to these people. I mean, it's just so loosely used, you know. It's just a, it becomes a joke in, in a way. I mean, I'm seeing people that are very moderate, very moderate that, for instance, are supportive of uh, the freedom measures and that, um, you know, they, they just um, they're called far right and they're just like thinking what? And I did, I did see something about signage. Um, I don't know if you could put that comment back up because I didn't read the whole thing, but um, it seemed interesting. Um, yard signs around almost. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, what we noticed here, the Liberal Party locally didn't run a campaign at all. They didn't have volunteers at booths. They didn't have signage. They had nothing. They just run a dud, like a, a basically a ghost candidate. And I mean, I guess because it's not something they would ever win, so they just didn't bother. But mm. um, that's where we thought that we were going to be sort of replacing them in the sort of we were going to be the main competition. And when it comes to signage, I'll say something about signage. Um, we were um, putting up signs, me and one other person, 
every night we were going out there till two o'clock in the morning, putting up signs, and there was people replacing them, people taking them down, defacing them. Uh, it actually, is shenanigans. Nothing new. Uh, I'm sure you get way too. Yeah. Like it's quite common. Quite common, and I mean the Labor Greens. I mean they're right behind that sort of stuff. I mean they're not even ashamed of it either. And we actually, yeah. Well, I was just saying we we caught actually a few people. We got their number plates. We got some home addresses. We we sent it to the police. Um, they did seem keen on chasing it up and investigating it, so to speak. And um, I mean nothing really come from it yet as 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 such. But we did um confront people that were doing it and they just basically thought that they were um that they were allowed because they were you know following the truth and that we were just some crazy people but we actually ended up we 400 signs 400 signs that got taken down of ours that we ended up having to replace and i mean we were still putting them up because we had a, an unlimited supply we made sure that we were you know financially we really put a lot of money in the electric we even had a truck with advertising going around the electorate, you know, for two weeks in the last two weeks of the campaign. So there was a lot of money put in. We had big events and everything, but unfortunately it just didn't translate um, to as many votes as we had hoped. But the, the dirty tactics and campaign is just disgusting. And I mean, even from uh, Labor volunteers at, at booths, they were harassing our people, you know, like putting them down and saying, oh, you know, why are you following that? They would talk to voters as they come in and they would say, oh, you know, don't ignore those guys. Don't don't follow them. Come and vote for us. You know, I mean, we even had a funny one. And I actually learned this last night. This is something that will make you laugh, right? So we had um, um, a guy that was, um, he, he was able to speak um, the Macedonian language, for instance, right? So he was put, we were, we were in a pre-poll area that was a high contingent of that demographic. So he was talking to a lot of people. And what we actually um, had was um, a Labor Party voter actually came up to him and he showed the Labor Party flyer or the how to vote card to um, my uh, volunteer. And he actually said something really cringe. You're going to laugh at this. But he actually said, this party here is the only party that's going to put bread on my table. Like, no, no joke. Like, I couldn't believe I was just laughing hysterically when I heard that. Right. So then what he would do is he would tell some of um, the voters of that demographic like, oh, this party here, UAP will put bread on your table, you know, just as a bit of a laugh. And people were sort of buying it, you know. But then what ended up happening, the Labor candidate overheard this. And she's like, oh, this isn't good. we got to get one of our guys in. So what they did is then they got one of their volunteers that could speak the same language. And after they get our flyer, then they go to the Labor guy. And the Labor guy in, in their dialect was saying, look, don't trust them. They're, they're liars. Come and vote for us, you know. So they would derail us. So they're really sneaky, the Labor Party here, you know. I mean, they've got such a foothold on the electorate and yeah, they just... Yeah, the Labor machines are, oh, yeah. are the, what is that, the best political machines in the in, oh. in, in, in the world. I mean, even though they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're, they're terrible, they're very effective mm -hmm. and that's why they've been so effective mm -hmm. in, in Victoria. Uh, Mel McPhee mm -hmm. says, uh, uh, Tim... Tim Live is so late. We probably should wrap up now because, uh, yeah, it is getting quite late here on the, the East Coast. Uh, I said at the start of the show, uh, it was the, 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 the show started, well, later and on a uh, unusual uh, night because you have to put your uh, children to, to sleep. I'm heading to, to Sydney tomorrow, so there'll be no show uh, tomorrow, but I'm planning uh, when I'm in, I'm going to uh, pass Wollongong 
on the on the the way back from from Sydney. So we're gonna meet up uh, in person, uh, which we haven't done for about was it five years. It was quite some time. Um, I, I don't even remember where it was. Um, I mean, we, we met at um, a convention before and also um, uh, earlier you came to Sydney and we met up in Sydney before, but it was some time yeah. that we have met. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it would be uh, good to meet you. Uh, you're one of the uh, uh, originals from the, the mm. beginning. Like, obviously, I was the, mm. the, the founder, so I've been here since yeah. the, the beginning. Uh, but yeah, back our, in 2016. Yeah. Yeah, but our, uh, our mate uh, Luke Roughly has uh, returned with uh, both the, the Australian, it's a mouthful, Australian Free Independent Press Network and there's also mm. the Australian Independent News Network. So I'm going to be catching up with uh, uh, Luke as well. And, uh, yeah, we will, we will see uh, what the, the next three years uh, brings us. It's not going to be good for, for freedom or, or, you know, for, for food and fuel uh, as well. Uh, like uh, definitely with Labor in charge of ASIO, the AFP and uh, Border Force, they're going to be watching uh, people like us and uh, other – I just published a story tonight about uh, – uh, the the what is it uh, surveillance and targeting of national nationalist groups will uh, intensify with a, a federal labor government. Yeah, I mean it's definitely dire times ahead. It's going to be very scary. But I mean, if the accelerationists are actually um, legit and they um, think their way is going to work, I mean this is the time now that we're going to see if accelerationism actually works. I mean because we have to maybe get a period of time where it's really, really bad for then people to have a, a, a retaliation or a rebel against it and to go totally opposite and do a 180. So, I mean, maybe that's what we need. I mean, it's unfortunate that we're going to go through these dire times, but sometimes, like the old saying that um, hard times create strong men and so forth, maybe that's what we need and we just need those times to come again. Um because unfortunately, we've had good times for so long now and it created the sort of mess that we've, we're in. I mean, just the mentality of people just getting too comfortable in life, you know, mm. just um, too relaxed and not really alert and thinking um, that bad things can happen to them. And that's why they're just so trusting of what's going on. It's just amazing that people don't have that kind of um, fight in them or that kind of, you know, um, um, aspect where they start to question things because you know it's just everything has been so good for people for so many years now that it's just inconceivable that things can go wrong you know i mean um so we can only hope that things do turn around soon and the state elections might show a little bit of promise in that but we just got to wait and see i, I just don't know what the the voters are going to um do but it'll be interesting to see what happens that's for sure some random like has still got lots of questions. You don't have your own channel, but you've got a uh, Facebook page. You should also get a Telegram channel as well, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't really think of um, doing a separate channel per se. I mean, um, I was quite happy just um, doing things through the Unshackled, but um, who knows what the future holds. I mean, at the moment, I was getting really involved with, um, you know, managing campaigns and stuff, but I definitely would like to be politically focused, but I just have to um, see where things take me and just, yeah, just just 
suss it out and see how life goes really so yeah but definitely the the annual uh unshackler awards for for 2022 uh will be back and uh you, that's uh you do the the heavy lifting uh with that uh that's been your baby since uh right at the beginning and i'm thinking maybe we should have a new uh category this year sinister globalist of the year because uh, they just had their 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 annual uh meeting in their their davos lair yeah i mean we just heard i i don't know if you've actually noticed this but i heard um a small clip from the world economic forum and they were saying something about you know depopulation and how good that's going to be you know within a year's time or something and, it, and people were clapping like it was, it was such a great thing they said and i was thinking are you crazy i mean these people are, are really sinister they're, they're just maniacs you know and i mean a lot of people you show this stuff to them they openly admitted it exactly you yeah, know? yeah, but apparently it's it's only a conspiracy theory if you think what they're saying is a bad thing. That that's right, and I mean, you show the the average person on the street, and they'll think, "Nah, that can't be right." You know, that must be edited or something. But it's actually yeah. legit out of their mouth, and they still don't believe it. <laughs> um, what is that? Uh, T. Ezra says that video, the one about depopulation, oh, okay. said fake. Oh. Um. I haven't seen that video uh, myself, but mm. definitely uh, the Alberta mm. uh, Bores, uh he did say he did say back in in 2018 about the what is that uh, the the peel that sends a, a notification uh, when like when you ingest it. That's uh, what is it? A, even AP said that that uh, like that wasn't from this year; it was old, but he still said it. Mm. I mean, they have from time to time kind of, you know, been pretty open about that kind of thing. I mean, they're, they're definitely not lying about it. I mean, even if there are some things that may have been edited, but there has been legit, you know, um, I mean, even if you read the, the Global Reset book, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I've, got, very... I've, got, I've got the book here. Like, well, there, you know. <laughs> there we go. That'll be an interesting read for sure. But I mean, they're very open and that's what I mean. I mean, for them to be so open about it, they must be that confident that people are just going to be supportive of their plans and that whatever, you know, retaliation there is can't bring them down. You know, that's just, a, it's an arrogance, you know, such an arrogance that they have that they can even tell you to their faces and they think that they're going to get away with it. And I mean, largely according to when you've seen the elections of past year, I mean, it looks like that they're right, you know? So I'm just hoping in time that that changes. I address the, the World Economic Forum. What was that? Sorry. Scott Morrison, he addressed the mm. World Economic Forum while he was uh, 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 Prime Minister on the, the panel with Bill Gates, was former New Zealand uh, Prime Minister uh, Helen Clark. We had our, what is it, Chief Censor, the, the e-safety commissioner over there. Her highlight was saying we need to recalibrate uh, free speech on online. So coming soon to a nation near you. Yeah, yeah, it's scary times. And I mean, this is what I mean, that leaders really have to start thinking, well, look, I mean, they, they, they have to stop continuing to pander to these globalists and actually think, well, you know, maybe if I sort of show that I'm supporting them, but I'm not really supporting them. And, you know, like, you just got to be clear from the get go and, and be Trumpian when it comes to this sort of stuff, you know, and say, look, we, we, we just got to focus on our nation, you know, our sovereignty sort of get away from these kind of, you know, globalist kind of packs like the Paris Accord and all that, you know, um, stop wasting money of ours and, you know, basically bankrupting our country and start, you know, trying to put the people first and trying to build this country again because it's been a disaster and what's been left of it. I mean, it's just, you know, it's 
it's really derailed and damaged our country for a long term. I mean, they've said that to pay off the bet, the the debt now it might take 180 years or something like that. I mean that you know that there's definitely got to be having to be some changes now. I mean they can't continue to to overspend and be like this. They've got to really be smart and try to manage the economy properly and try and get this debt under control because people are going to suffer in the long term. All right. I will bid you all uh, good night. And uh, from me, a uh, good week. Thank you so much, uh, Damien, for coming on tonight. And I'll see you later this week. And I please uh, make sure that you follow uh, my Telegram and, and Gab because I'll certainly be posting updates uh, during the week and I'll also be catching up with uh, many of the, the, the freedom uh, fighters who I haven't met who uh, are based in Sydney there. So take care, everyone. Stay safe, stay sane and stay healthy. Tim's News Explosion. 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 Uh, we've actually got one last super chat from 10.6. Will the UAP keep its membership for further elections for three Australian dollars? Thank you, 10.6. We didn't forget. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting and I really like that you asked that question. Um, at this stage, some intel I've been told is that um, the UAP apparently can't contest Victoria and New South Wales state elections because they didn't meet the deadline of registration. Now, that's something that I've been told, um, whether it's 100% legit, but I'm pretty confident that that is something that from the top has been filtered down to candidates and so forth, that that can't um, occur. Well, New so, South um, Wales and Victoria. New South Wales and Victoria, they weren't they didn't register in time because it has a 12 month field where you have to register the party um, and they I'll double check for Victoria. I know that they have different, uh, oh, different processes. Okay. Well, uh, I definitely was told New South Wales, um, Victoria, I will get some more information on that and definitely let you know. Um, when it comes to the party, um, I think the, the, the poor results is definitely, you know, sent a bit of a shock through the party. Um, their future is, it's a bit hard to tell at the moment. I mean, now what I've been told is that they do want to continue on because they've built such a big membership of 85,000 members and so forth. At the same time, at what capacity it's going to be is remaining to be seen, whether they're going to save it for federally or whether they are going to, between now and then, contest a state election here and there. But um, I, I really think that they need to look at um, how their performance was and try and sort of reassess and see what things that they can do properly. And one thing is, is the Palmer effect, like we mentioned before, um, whether he can maybe take a more background um, a role rather than putting his face out there. And that's going to be very hard for him to accept that, of course. The second issue is that there was a lot of problems with um, headquarters, HQ, and there was a very centralised um, approach in uh, some circumstances. So for instance, candidates wanted to go out there and do uh, a lot of things, but they were getting held back. 
And um, that was something that was very difficult because they wanted to be on the ground and doing things and they were getting hold back and saying, yep, no, don't do this, wait for this to happen, wait for that announcement. And that was really derailing as well. Uh, there was a few mistakes, of course, that happens in every election campaign. But I, I think it'll be very interesting and we will definitely give you an update on that. Um, I don't have all the answers as to what's going to happen. Only the leadership is going to know what's what's going to happen. I mean, if you contacted Clive himself, I mean, he's probably still thinking what direction he's going to go in and what, what he's going to do with the party. I mean, I would like to see him running, but I just at this stage don't know. All I can say is that I've been told certain things and um, that is that there, there was an issue with registration in state elections and that there was um, also a few problems within the party and whether they're able to regroup or whether he's going to just end up unwinding at this stage, I really don't know. So we, we're just remaining to be seen here and we can we can just wait, see what happens and if they contest future elections and um, I mean, they'll give us an update in time anyway. So that, that's the best sort of answer with that that I can give. And with that, it's definitely good night.